Welcome to Conversations with Buddy on this Monday morning around 10 o'clock. Coming to you live from the Rec Podcast Studio here in Kaiser, Oregon, where we hear the stories of average people like you and I who impact each of us for a bigger purpose. Today's guest, I'd say he's a longtime friend. I met him probably early, middle 2000s. So I call him a friend, Pastor Bruce, Bruce Stefanik. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah. Good to have you, man. Well, there's a lot about you that I want to share, so I'm going to just kind of give a brief introduction, and then we're going to ask you some really good questions, and hopefully you'll tell us the truth. Hopefully. Sounds good. <laughs> we'll give it a shot. All right. So, Bruce, you've been married to Linda for coming up on 44 years. Yeah, December 9th, 44 years. December 9th. We should have probably had her here just to make sure you're Just not, to validate it. Yeah, to validate that. Say, okay. Yeah. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about marriage. So you're a father, you have two grown sons, married and living in Portland, and you have one grandson. Right. What's your grandson's name? Luke. Yeah, eight years old. Wow. Yeah, he's Man, a blast. What a, what a blessing. Yeah. So early in life, you lived in Southern California. And Northern you, California, actually. Northern California. Yeah. Okay. And you did some home building. Yep. But then you were called into full-time ministry at some point in time. I want to hear, this is where I really want to hear what called you. And that was like 38 years ago. Sound about right? Yep, that's right, yeah. Uh, 15 years on the mission field, primarily in Latin America. Your heart is for leadership development of the next generation. Right, yeah. Okay. Uh, you pastor a local church called Church on the Hill. And you've been doing that since 2001. And one of the things you said is, we believe the local church and strong Jesus communities are the hope of the city the nation, in the world. Yeah. That sound about right? That's right. Okay. Uh, both he and Linda became Jesus followers together at age 22. So my question there was, did you guys, were you guys married at 22 or is that just when you guys got to know each other? Uh, no, no, we weren't married yet. Uh, I guess, you know, that was back in the 70s. So uh, tail end of the Jesus movement, tail end of the the hippie movement that was kind of imploding. and uh, Were yeah. you part of that hippie movement? Uh, yeah, sort of. <laughs> I, it's kind of a long story. I, I'm actually from Chicago originally. Okay. And so um, I left there um, right at the end of my teen years because I had to get out of the city, big city, all kinds of problems. And uh, I was traveling. And then in the course of traveling, I was actually hitchhiking across the country. And that's where I met Linda. We traveled together for a little bit. And then uh, about a year and a half later, we kind of ran into the Jesus community thing. So. I'll be darned. So yeah. you weren't a believer at that point in time, and all of a sudden, boom. Not, well, it was not a believer, no. No, I wasn't raised uh, really in the faith. Uh, uh, you know, here you grew up in a city of whatever it was back then, 7 million people, and uh, never really heard the gospel until I left. And so That's interesting. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. So you're saying leave home, is that the only way to find the gospel? Maybe, maybe, okay. yeah. I think I left home and found the gospel as well. Your favorite Bible in the uh, to teach out of is the book of Proverbs. It is timeless. I would agree. I could read a proverb a day, right? And for thirty-one days and start over. Yep, and do it for your whole life and never and learn the lesson like many times. I know I've read it a million times, but mm -hmm. I'm like I feel like sometimes I'm reading it for the first time. Yeah, yeah. People, I think, approach the Bible sometimes for information, which is not bad. I mean, we all need good and true information, but Proverbs is the book of application, right? Mm. So that's where the change really happens. That's why I like it so much. Wow. Spend your whole life just, you know, doing that book and you're good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so good. That's good. So I was just going to tell a quick story about where we first met. So probably, I don't know, 2004, 
there was a fundraiser and one of the, the things you could buy was a dinner. Oh, that right. wasn't me that bought it. It was another friend of mine. That's right. Yeah. So bought a dinner. Uh, we go to their house. There's probably six or eight people, four couples, I think. Right. And you and Linda are the ones we that are catered gonna, that. You're yeah. going to cater that. So well, that's funny. Yeah. Let's start there. What, what was that about? Yeah. Well, that's funny. I'd forgotten all about that, but that's, I remember that yeah. very clearly. Um, yeah. So basically we had just come off the mission field in 2001. We'd been out of the country for 10 or 11 years, raised our kids down in Southern Mexico and uh, came back had a year, a pretty challenging year of transition back into American culture and so forth. And went on staff at Church on the Hill. And But we were still um, very much involved and still are with the ministry we had down in Mexico. It was church planting and uh, youth ministries, outreach, all kinds of things. And so we were still taking teams 2002, 3, 4, 5, all the way through probably 2008. We oh, wow. continued to take teams and still do down to Mexico for outreach locations for 9, 10 days, whatever people can get away. It's an yeah. easy access sort yeah. of thing. So we yeah. were that whole thing was part of a uh, – we were taking – we have a church in the hill. We have a K through 12 school as well, Crossfield Christian. And uh, we were taking uh, eighth grade groups of kids yeah. down to Mexico for, oh, a, cool. for a missions uh, experience in the summer. So we were raising money, and uh, it was an auction. And so we offered to cater a, a Mexican food dinner, which we do pretty well at. So that's yeah, how we met. That was amazing. Yeah. In fact, my wife and I remember, because that's been almost 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. That I didn't know you then, but trust me, we were impacted Yeah. yeah. Uh, by the fellowship and the food. I'm not sure which one was better, but they were both really good. <laughs> yeah, food moves the world, right? That's right. That's right. Now it was a really good time. Um, where'd you grow up at? Where, where, where were you born at? You well, said again, Chicago? Yeah, born in Chicago, raised there. Uh, Chicago's an interesting place um, for a lot of reasons, but one of them is that it was a, a hub, obviously, for immigration at the turn of the last century. Okay. And uh, my grandparents were immigrants from the... Uh, Eastern Europe. Mm -hmm. So my father was the first generation American born there with all that big family, uh, um, World War II vet, all that kind of a thing. Wow. So it was that literal melting pot that you hear that term so yeah. often. And so that's kind of was my environment as I grew up in the neighborhoods of, you know, of Poles and Czechs and Romanians and Germans and all this kind of stuff, all trying to live together in a wow. new environment. So that's what I grew up with. Uh, my dad, English was his second language. Well, he grew up very bilingual, bicultural, and so forth, where we were like the first, you know, uh, well, I guess maybe the second generation American and stuff like that. So a very uh, diverse environment, a very divisive environment yeah. in a lot okay. of ways because they're always fighting with one another. Family. Yeah, families and cultures and stuff. But it was it was a cool cool experience for the most part. But it was also a big city and uh, very different culturally than the West Coast, for example. And I was always fascinated by the West Coast. And okay. so, but I went to a high school of uh, 4,000 kids, wow. big school, and uh, you know, pretty much just fumbled my way through that. Didn't uh, know what I was going to do or who I was. And yeah. Of course, I wasn't a believer and never had, never had anyone share the gospel with me. The environment was very different than it is today, but... Uh, but yeah, and it wasn't until, like I said earlier, I left that uh, I actually encountered that message. So huh, that's awesome. Where did Linda grow up at? 
She was from uh, Arizona, from Phoenix. Okay. And so, she, like I said earlier, she was traveling. It was the middle of summer. Yeah. Uh, 1977. And, uh, and or 70, yeah, 77. And we crossed paths, just total random thing yeah. in Idaho, of all places. Yeah. But we were both both traveling and enjoying a summer vacation. That's so. interesting. Yeah. Funny how God works. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so you, you've, you got married. You guys moved to Mexico. Um. From there, so it, it almost seems like you guys were called into a ministry. How do you know that you guys were called, or how did that all work out? Yeah, um, so that's a great question. Uh, it's a little bit of a long story, but the short version would be that, uh, again, no church background. Uh, we'd never been. Here we are at that time, 20, 20 21 years of age. And I'd never been in a I, – I, I, to be fair, I'd been in a Catholic church before. Okay. But as far as anything else outside of a Catholic church, what we would call Protestant or maybe even a narrower labor like, label like uh, Baptist or Methodist or Episcopalian or anything like yeah, that. I, yeah, yeah. I didn't even – that stuff wasn't even on my radar. Didn't right. even know it existed. And uh, we just happened to be traveling the summer of 1977, like I said, and we stopped to uh, – uh, put gas in the car and get a pizza and walked out and a lady walked up to us on the street just total cold turkey didn't know us we'd only been in town an hour we'd never been in this town before we didn't know a single soul and she just started uh, she just walked up and said I just need to talk to you guys and uh, which was a little odd but uh, she wasn't going to stop, and then she started just sharing the gospel of Jesus with us, the gospel of the kingdom with us. And it was shocking because, on one hand, she was a total stranger talking to strangers, but on the other hand, she had uh, a presence about her that wasn't just a normal human presence. The, the Holy Spirit was on yeah. her, and uh, she shared with some authority. But what she said, among other things, was that, um, I don't know you, but God does, and he's been following you kind of thing and he's got a call on your lives to serve him full time now again at, in the context of that time those words meant nothing because i had no idea what she was talking about or frankly even what was happening but uh but she had this again this i i would call it a prophetic sense of this woman is speaking to me mm -hmm. on god's behalf so to speak and uh and she had our attention and then she just uh, delivered that, handed me a little New Testament, uh, handed us this New Testament, and then she walked away, and we never saw her again. She 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 wasn't even from that little town, T again town in Northern California, wow. small little tourist town, and uh, we never saw her again. But the words don't leave this place until you decide if you're going to follow the call of God in your lives. We're were very uh, provoking, right? Like, yeah. what do we do with that? It wasn't that we were total heathens in the sense of, well, yeah. I just don't believe God exists or, you know, atheists, you know, there is no God. We believed that there was, but we had no idea how to yeah. how to find him or follow him or yeah. encounter him. And so... Was there like a certain Bible verse she shared with you? What specifically did she do to... I think, to I don't remember, gospel. she shared several, but the thing that stood out again was well she said don't leave this place until you decide so she was kind of bringing us to a place of of decision i guess which was the which was interesting because again we were just passing through so who knows we were on our way south back to arizona yeah. where where linda's was from and so um so when she said those words and she walked away i was just standing there and there happened to be a phone booth in the parking lot with this thing we used to call the yellow pages right remember yeah, that and yeah. i walked over and picked it up and uh I, I i had a construction background and so forth and so i called the first company that was in the book and and the guy on the other end of the line i just said hey 
I'm looking for a job. He said, well, I'm, I need a guy tomorrow morning at 7 <laughs> o'clock. And I walked back to the car and said, uh, and, he, and I said, sure, give me the address. And this is before the days of cell phones and yeah. so forth. And, and it was a full-time job. But I walked back and said to Linda, you're not going to believe this, but I just, I just got a job. She's like, what do you mean you just got a job? Well, I just called this guy. What guy did you call? Well, some guy in the Yellow Pages. But what happened that because of that was it held us there. So I went to work the next day, full-time job, yes or no, yes. We got a hotel for a month because we didn't know a soul in town. We had no place. To, we didn't know what to look for. And, mm -hmm. and uh, it was a few days later, we ran in to a group of young people that had all had a similar experience to ours, that had all been passing through this town and had all become believers. And so they invited us. They kind of invited us to investigate, to come to Bible studies, to, uh, to get to know them. They befriended us. And so it's interesting how it was hospitality over food and, and friendship that they led us to the knowledge of Jesus and the Jesus community. Uh, it wasn't, there weren't any big mega churches, there were no podcasts, there were no, there was nothing to watch on a video. It was all, it was all people in a room together. So that's why I, I really believe when I use the term Jesus community, that's not just a, a you know, kind of a, a uh, um, a label. It, it's a real living, breathing, organic thing that provides hospitality and invites people into a genuine relationship that they can encounter Jesus in. So, and that's what happened to us. We ended up staying in that town for five and a half years, investigating what it meant to to work full time and to call. So you show up in this town. Yeah. A lady comes up to you you've never met before. Yeah. She says, "Before you leave, decide." And you found a job. You guys were invited to um, fellowship with some people, have some food, and they befriended you. And five and a half years later, you then left. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, so that was a, that was interesting. I mean, because that would have the, those series of events, those little things like breadcrumbs. Was now looking back, we see, oh, that story unfolded chapter by chapter. Yeah. At the time, you have no idea because right. you have no perspective. I got a job, so I'm going to stay here for a week. Okay, well, it's a bigger job, so I'm going to stay here for a month. And then we run into people. Oh, we're going to find a house here. Oh, we're going to start a business. So that's where I, yeah. I had a construction business. I was building homes there. Got in it. That, in that's that where area. it all began. Yeah. And then just getting into the ministry piece was we had a burning, so to speak, uh, a sense of. God's called us to full-time minister, so we began to prepare, did some schooling, did some studies, investigated some options and so forth. And then uh, again in 1984, ended up leaving there and going into full-time missions and pretty much never looked back. That's so, so cool. Yeah. What's your greatest memory of being in Mexico during those years with your kids? At that time, we were probably a lot younger. and Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they were three. When we moved down there, uh, you know, it's one thing to move across the city. You know, <laughs> you, hire, you, you get a U-Haul <laughs> and just pack up your stuff. And then yeah. if you're moving across the country, it's a different. And then when you're moving out of the country into another country, another culture and passports and so forth wow. and visas, it's a whole other world. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a great time for my family. It yeah. was not an easy time by any stretch. And we were living quite a way south, about a thousand miles down into the interior uh, on the southwest coast. We moved down there because we we had uh, an opportunity to launch a medical missions, mm -hmm. sort of a ministry there on site. It was a very needy area at that time. 
And uh, we had partnerships with some um, medical personnel on the West Coast, San Francisco, Seattle, L.A. And uh, they began to bring down teams of doctors and nurses and dentists, healthcare people doing all sorts of healthcare. But uh, it was an exciting time because uh, it was it's a pretty rugged area where we lived up in the mountains. And again, we were the only – we were the only non, we were the only Americans around, so we stood out like sore thumbs. But uh, it was a very, um, very pioneering, I guess. And, yeah, and uh, exciting times. It'd probably be a little difficult to go back there. You know, you and I could go grab a coffee at Starbucks. Uh, yeah. There was no such a thing in, in no Mexico thing, no. up on the mountain. No. That's, that's yeah, this was the 90s, right? It was the late 80s, 88. And yeah. so at that time, uh, Mexico was pretty much a, a very closed nation economically, trade-wise, religiously, politically. Yeah. It was kind of an isolated environment because of their political uh, mm-hmm. philosophies and so forth. Uh, it was post-Vietnam, so to speak, post-communist, post-Cold War. And so they were, but what changed was in 1994 was this thing we now know as NAFTA, the Free Trade Agreement. And when that happened, uh, uh, Mexico and Canada and the United States opened their borders to a lot of things Mm -hmm. besides trade. One of those being religious freedom and uh, the ability to move easily and get visas and so forth. So the first years were very challenging because uh, you were were swimming upstream. Right. Looking back, I mean, you can see how difficult it was at the time. You go, oh, that's difficult, but you didn't have anything to compare it to. But right, yeah. it would be completely different today. So how did uh, being on the mission field in Mexico prepare you for ministry mm. here? Oh, <laughs> that's <a good> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think uh, being on the mission field, anybody who's ever been on the mission field, left their culture, understands that uh, – um, things aren't Americans. We are. We pride ourselves on uh, a, a controlled life and a planned out life and a daytimer. And our lives are planned out thirty days, sixty days, maybe a year in advance. And uh, we depend on certain things. That's what sells, right? Yes. I mean, McDonald's has sold trillions of hamburgers not because they have the best hamburgers in the world. McDonald's and other chains sell their stuff because of one thing, they're predictable. So you know that wherever you go in any country in the world, you're going to walk into the Golden Arches and you know basically what you're going to get. And so that's great if you're selling hamburgers, but real life doesn't actually work like that. And um, so moving to another country has all these unknowns. And then moving to a country that is culturally like Latin America, which is very different, uh, where spontaneity is valued and hospitality is valued and time is not that big of a deal in america we just you know we go on our rants about time is money time is money and and in some of those countries time is basically meaningless because people are important and and uh, relationships are important and and so uh, you have to really wrap your mind around that. And, and frankly, that's what's called culture shock, by the way, is mm-hmm. people take their culture. I, as an American, I'm going to go on a mission field. I take my American culture with me and how I operate and the control that I have and, and so forth, the predictability of my life, and I know how to wheel and deal. And then I get into a culture that is vastly different from mine. Wow. And culture shock is when that hits me in the face <laughs> sooner or later, and I'm either going to react in anger and frustration and actually judge the people as, oh, these ignorant people, when in fact, humility says, I'm the one who's ignorant. Yeah. You know, I'm the one who needs to slow down. I'm the one who needs to change. Most Americans go to other countries kind of demanding uh, that they change. You know how Starbucks is. If they don't get your, you know, double shot latte with a half shot or whatever just right, you just give it back and say, I want, I want you to do this again right. Yes. But um, 
In other countries, it's just like, no, we're going to, we operate by a different set of standards here. And you're not we, the customer's not the king. Right. And do we respect the culture? I think you're right. I, I went to Europe uh, a handful of years ago with my family and uh, we were uh, in Venice. And I go to this coffee shop. I'm thinking, I have a Starbucks mentality, like I want a grande, whatever. <laughs> and they give me this little espresso right. cup. I'm like, um, where's the bigger one? Well, that's what that what it was. So that was culture shock. I know it's only <laughs> coffee, but right. I things totally, like that. I totally get that. Yeah. Where yeah. Uh, humility will go a lot farther than judgment. Well, well it, that's called in missions terms enculturation, isn't it? That um, mm. Jesus. It says in the Gospel of John, the King of all creation became a man and dwelt among us. So you think about that concept. The king of all creation, the creator of the world, became a man, and not just a man in 2022, but a man 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine the downsizing he had to go through. He became, he emptied himself out. It says Culture shock, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and he became nothing. So yes. that's called humility. And all we're called to do is basically imitate uh, the greatest missionary in, in the history of the world, which is Jesus, right? And the world says something different. You know, like you said, time is money. You know, it's... In the business world, that's what's ingrained in our brain. Right. But then I go read the Bible, and I see this thing of humility. You know, when people would come up to Jesus and say, hey, my daughter, my son is dying. Come and save them. He'd go, hey, I'll be there in about three days. Like, I'll get there, and they're, they're, they're fine. He was going to take care of the relationship in front of him. Right. And I find that really fascinating because we're in a hurry. We're catching the, the plane. You know, we're checking a text. Yeah. We're looking at social media. We're busy. Yeah. So how do we become unbusy? I guess that's a question. Yeah. Well, that's probably a whole other podcast, right? But uh -huh. um, I think uh, I think it's really about priorities, and that's a tough thing because we have to decide. First of all, we have to face the illusion that we're in control because we're not in control. We like to think we are, and we like to plan like we are, but the fact is we're not. So the psalmist wrote these words. He said, Lord, teach me to number my days mm. that I could live wisely. So uh, that's, that's hard for us to admit that we're mortal. That, uh, and so we, I see this as a pastor all the time, and here's what it looks like as a pastor. A guy's just running at 100 miles an hour, and he's neglecting the things that are important in his life. He's paying attention to things that, are, you know, uh, how to do the deal, how to break the bank, how to, yeah. how to, you know, and so on. And then all of a sudden, he's hit with a cancer diagnosis, or he's hit with a tragedy or mm -hmm. some kind of trauma. And all of a sudden, all the things that were important yesterday are no longer important today. And his life is radically refocused on, I, I, I've got to go see my son. I've got to, I've got to talk to my wife. Or, or it could be anything. It, it could be a divorce paper is laid on the desk. Yeah. And all of a sudden, this, this man is shocked into reality that, hey, your world was a make-believe world to some degree. Mm -hmm. uh, and you need to pay attention to what matters. And so that's, that's, a, that's a value orientation that uh, I, my life as a believer. Now, as a non-believer, I totally get it. But as a believer, I have to really wrap my mind around this. My life is more than 50, 60, 70, 80 years. We're living and planning. We should be living and planning and aware of eternity and what that world looks like. This, this is just a dress rehearsal. This mm. is a... Yeah, this is a drop in the in the bucket compared to eternity. I like the word controlled life. Yeah, we as Americans, we love to control things. Um, the verse that reminds me that I'm not in control is that uh, when I accepted Christ, 
he purchased me with his own blood Mm -hmm. and I'm actually not my own. I don't get to make that decision. So it helps me remember who's in control. And when I think I'm in control, I'm actually not. Yeah. It's an illusion. It's an illusion, but it's a it's an attractive illusion, right? <laughs> it's so attractive. that's what sells uh, oh. sells a lot of things like yeah. security systems and insurance and all kinds of other things. Totally. It, that's what sells. They're selling, they're selling control. You can have control over you know negative things that might impact your life, which again to some degree I I get that, but um, it's just not the big the whole picture. Yeah, we're going to talk about a couple more things. Uh, one would be uh, your greatest challenge in ministry and moving forward. What does that look like? And then we're going to end off on how do you stay married for 44 years? That would be something I want to learn. So, Mm, yeah. So tell me about your greatest challenge that you have in ministry right now and where is God leading you? And then we'll ask the last question. Well, the greatest challenge, I guess, speaking from my perspective as a pastor and any pastor that's listening to this would totally relate is the last two and a half years have been like fruit basket turnover. Um, life was rolling rolling right along. If we remember back in 2020, which seems like a, a long time ago, um, no one no one knew anything about a pandemic. This thing wasn't on the radar. We were making plans. We had programs running. We were just doing the pastoral thing, the church community thing. And then all of a sudden, this whole thing blows in like a storm, and it was a very real storm. But... Uh, um, the storm, a storm always affects different people different ways. Depends on which way you're facing, right? When a hurricane blows into Florida, it just depends on which way your house is facing and which side of the coast it's on and so forth. And so this storm, which was both a healthcare storm, but then it became a political storm, and then it became an emotional storm and so on, it hit different people different ways. And I like to say that um, – uh, a storm doesn't necessarily produce any character or produce any good thing, but it sure reveals, yeah, say it reveals. what is or isn't there. And so I think all the storm, like I said, the healthcare, the politics, the emotions and all that, I, opinions, endless opinions. And, of course, we had other things going on as well, an election, we had forest fires in Oregon, we had all kinds of other storms. But I think uh, it brought things out of people that maybe they didn't even know were there. So as a pastor, to navigate that of a wide variety of storms and a wide variety of reactions. Some people reacted in what I would say would be a very godly and a mature way. Mm -hmm. Other people reacted in a very ungodly and immature way. And so you've probably heard the statistics in the last two and a half years, somewhere or in the next couple of years, 30 to 40 percent of pastors are are transitioning out of ministry. They've resigned in the middle of COVID. Uh, they retired early. And similar to law enforcement and healthcare industry, mm-hmm. there's just been a tremendous amount of pressure. And so as a pastor, too, what we've had to deal with is uh, uh, endless opinions. Uh, about what we should do. Uh, should we wear a mask? Should we not wear a mask? Should we vaccinate? Should we not vaccinate? Should we gather? Should we? And so w- the most challenging thing to answer your question has been, okay, understanding there is not one decision that's going to make everybody happy. <laughs> and if you're in the ministry to make people happy anyway, you're there for the <laughs> wrong reason. Yeah. So you have to thread or, or so to speak, s- navigate, set a course to lead people through because you don't want to just sit there. You have to move forward to set a course of leadership that is wise and and hopefully eternity-minded mm-hmm. and that doesn't hurt people. But realizing, too, 
at the same time that not everybody will agree with you. And so that's kind of what we did. Like I said, we have a Christian school, uh, probably over 500 kids in the school. So that represents a lot of families, a lot of churches in the area. Our school represents probably 65 different churches in the community. So we have a wide variety of perspective, right? So honoring that, respecting that, listening to their concerns, but at the same time saying, this is the way we're going and we just ask you to trust us, that produces a lot of angst in people. Um, again, depending, I think, on their uh, their maturity level. So, Sounds rough. Yeah, that's why pastors are retiring. So. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's, that's good to hear. Uh, I think leadership is difficult in these, in these times. It does <laughs> expose where we've been spending our time and do we really trust that God has a plan? Look, I think God actually likes a little bit of a shakeup. Sure. I'm not saying he causes it, but mm-hmm. he certainly allows it. Certainly does. And yeah. I think if we learn as believers to embrace that, hey, he's still in charge, he's still on the throne, nothing's changed, we can actually be humble and know that he has a plan. Yeah. And if we're not those, then what is it? Where is our faith? Has it has it stopped growing from two years ago? Yeah, yeah. Well, you think about it, leadership, like you said, uh, is a faith venture, right? You think of every great leader, just in the Bible, for example, you think of the Moses and Joseph and Daniel and David and others. Well, they were called to follow God when no one understood where they were going. (laughs) So leadership, by definition, is somebody's out in front of the crowd, hopefully following God to his end, to his where he wants to bring people. The example of Moses, you know, I'm leading you out of Egypt. Well, they had no context to understand that. They've been slaves for 400 years. So you're always going to be misunderstood. Yeah. You're always going to be misaligned to, by somebody because they're not out there with you. And God has called you as the leader to take these people somewhere. You know, he that thinks he leads when no one follows is simply taking a walk. Yes. <laughs> and so... The fact that we're leaders means there's somebody following us, and God's calling us to follow Him yeah. in the direction He wants us to go. And so that's never going to be totally comfortable, and it will always be a faith venture. Yeah, not an easy thing. Hey, let's let's do a little wrap up here. But I want to hear almost 44 years of marriage. It's probably been perfect the whole time, right, Bruce? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Okay, good. Yeah, I'm going to write a book. Okay, you're going to write that book. Walk us through what it takes to be married for 44 years. Marriage is tough. It's, you know, I don't care if you're a Christian, not Christian. Right. When you have a, a male and a female, uh, two different mindsets, how does that work? How do yeah. you how do you maintain that? Well, I think again, it's a it's a great question and a big question, but the I think my short response would be a couple things. One is I think marriage is given to us by God. And it's a picture of something bigger. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians 5. It's a picture of Christ in the church. So we have to see it through that lens. Now, in these days that we live in, no one wants to talk about the Bible. No one wants to look at the Bible. So they want to have the marriage without the author. But the author created the idea of marriage of male and female, men and woman coming together and becoming one flesh and dying to their selfishness so that a new thing could come forth. So I do, I've do. i done and do lots of weddings, hundreds of weddings, right? And so at, at that altar that day or wherever they are, outside, inside, but at, at that place of vows, 
they are in transition, right? They are leaving behind their singleness. They're, they came into the church or they came to the barn as a single man and a single woman. And what they're doing is they're saying, I am no, that, that is no longer my life. Hmm. I'm going to join my life with another, and we become one flesh. A new thing is born right there in that yeah. moment. But the dynamic, the truth about that at a core level is I have to die. I have to leave behind. I have to lay down my right. So if I, if I am married and I walk out of there and three weeks later I want to go back to the way I did things when I was single, the way I thought when I was single, the way I act when I was single, well, it's, there's going to be immediate conflict. And that's what destroys marriages, right, is conflict. So the number one thing, I think, is the willingness to die. That's why Paul said in Ephesians, he said, love husbands, love your wives. How? Not the latest life hack or the latest YouTube video or the latest celebrity opinion. No, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Well, now you have to stop and ask yourself, well, how did Christ love the church? Mm. Oh, he gave himself up for her. He washed her. He served her. He laid his life down. You show me a man or a woman who are trying to outdo each other in laying their lives down for one another, and I'll show you someone who's happily married for a long period of time. Okay. Is it easy? No. No, because I'm a selfish human being, and we're all selfish human yes. beings, if we tell the truth. If we tell the truth. If we're honest with each other. So, And I think practicing that, uh, just one step at a time, one day at a time, one mm -hmm. week at a time. Conflict is inevitable. Conflict, uh, someone says, uh, uh, Dr. Les Parrott said, is the price we pay to go deeper. So conflict isn't a bad thing. Can be, yeah. can be a terrible. It can be an awful thing, but healthy conflict is the price we pay to go deeper. Because in conflict, we learn about ourselves. We learn where we're not as patient as we thought we were. We're mm -hmm. not as wonderful as we think we are, as our mothers have told us, right? And that's where we begin. And so if we lean into that, if we lean into change, if we lean into learning to lay our lives down, lo and behold, we're transformed. And what can do that? What other institution can do that like a marriage? What other commitment can you enter into that's going to produce that kind of life change like a marriage? There's nothing else. Nothing. That's God's wisdom. Love it. Bruce, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time uh -huh. to just come visit today. And we've got to hang out a little bit uh, more specifically at the gym. I think I see you. We run into each other. Yep, yep. But I really appreciate your wisdom. And I hope people will glean what you talked about, whether it's uh, how you lead the church, you lead your wife, uh, you recognize your selfishness and and that you have to lay that down as well. How do people reach out to you if they want to get to know more about Bruce and maybe uh, what it's like to be a husband or uh, a pastor who's struggling? Yeah, I'm just I'm down at Church on the Hill. You can find us on our webpage, you know, churchonthehill.com. There we are, or Willamette Christian School, or email brucestefanik at gmail.com. Just my, my whole name, brucestefanik at gmail.com. Be happy to chat. Pretty simple, pretty simple. Well, hey, we just want to say thanks to The Rec for hosting our podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this, uh, this podcast with Bruce. And uh, if you liked it or it impacted you, please like it, please share it. And uh, we look forward to you uh, bringing a new, a new guest next week. So like and share and uh, look forward to it. Thank you.